welcome once again to Cinemaholics. I am John Agroni. I am the box office columnist for Adam Tickets, head writer at Cinemaholics.com, and I occasionally write books. Uh, Will Ashton is out this week, sadly. He'll be back later. I think we're going to have some fun conversations about some bonus content. But for now, we have a special guest this week. She also writes books, and she's an editor at Sci-Fi Fangirls. She's also the co-host of the wonderful podcast, Strong Female Characters. Welcome for the first time to Cinemaholics, Preethi Chibber. Hello. Preethi, I am so excited to have you on. You have no idea. <laughs> I'm excited to be on. Yes, because I listen to Strong Female Characters, and I have a feeling some of our listeners, most of them probably are because they're so smart and they know all the great podcasts, but <laughs> for the few who are not subscribed already, please let them know, why is this podcast so great? Uh, so it's three women. We all write for Sci-Fi Fangirls. Uh, Sharon Martinetti, who is the editor of fangirls and uh, Courtney Enlow and I just kind of talk about geek culture through a feminist lens and we're like silly and funny. It's a lot of laughing, which I enjoy. So each week we tackle the news. We often play a game um, and then we talk about our Shiro week or Shiro of the week, which is my favorite part where we talk about someone who is like a woman who's done something really amazing that particular week in genre. That's right. And then I was just listening to some of your episodes where you covered Comic-Con. And so I'm extra appreciative that you could come on because you are coming back from traveling and craziness. And mm -hmm. it, it's great that you could make time to talk about Hobbs and Shaw. I, I will always make time to talk about Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> That's right. Well, okay. So like I said, we are going to be talking about Hobbs and Shaw. It's just the two of us. So this is going to be a very lean and mean sort of episode, which means our off topics are going to be short, but as good as ever. Before we get into that, listeners, you know the deal. You can find more episodes of Cinemaholics, including our full archive on Cinemaholics.com. I just keep saying it because I know you want to tell your friends and you want to remember it word for word, so repetition. And for those of you still wondering, you can write into the show anytime by sending us a personal, friendly, polite email, cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget, we also have a Patreon. If you're interested in becoming a patron or seeing what it's all about and why you may want to be a patron in the first place, check out patreon.com slash cinemaholics and learn all about that. Okay, off topics. I, I know this is your first time, Preeti, on the show. People, mm -hmm. people are curious. They're like, who is this person? That where's Will Ashen? I'm scared. I'm nervous. Well, let's let's let them know that you're here and you're you have a lot of great stuff to say. We have some getting to know you questions. Okay, and, and they're pretty straightforward. So here's the first one. Um, I did prep you on this, so it's not like you know. I don't want any listeners to think you're just like <laughs> on the fly. You're just you know. Here's a question: What is your current pop culture obsession? Especially bonus points if it's something you really wish more people were into. It can be TV, movies board games, celebrity gossip, whatever it has to be. So I was thinking about this and, and I tend to move from like obsession to obsession pretty fast. Like I'll like go in real deep, real, like really intensely for like a month and then I'm gone to the next thing. So right now, like right in this moment, it's heists. Like I love a good heist movie. Mm. I, was, I thought it was a thing called heists and I got a little confused. Oh, I wish, no, I wish there was a thing called heist because here's the thing is I think people really enjoy heist movies and there aren't actually as many as I think there should be in the world. <laughs> there are so many heist movies. So you're saying <laughs> most movies should be heist movies. I see what you're saying. I think most movies should be heist movies. Like my ideal movie in, in my head that I, I want and I will probably never get is like a Harry Potter heist movie. What? <laughs> I know. That actually like, sounds, 
Hmm. It sounds amazing, right? I I can't stop thinking about it now. <laughs> I want it so badly. Well, that actually because we were we were joking around about Harry Potter and the Fast and the Furious as like a yeah. the crossover from heaven. <laughs> and Fast and Furious, those those movies are full of heists. Totally full of heists. But like if you picture like because I love the Now You See Me movies because I also really like magic. But like I want real ma- I want like wizards doing mm-hmm. heists. Ah. Well, yeah, because now you see me, it, they had Daniel Radcliffe, and I remember being slightly disappointed. But the sequel, right, had him in it, and it, I <laughs> thought real magic was going to enter some way. I was so naive. I know, no. It was just it's just like sleight of hand stuff, which, like, there's a place for that, don't get me wrong. But I just think that it would be so great. I'm watching uh, Leverage right now for the first time because I asked on Twitter a few weeks ago, like, what people's favorite heist movies were, and everybody was like, you have to watch Leverage which I thought was a show about therapy for some reason. I didn't, I didn't realize it was about ice. I've heard of it. Yeah, that's one of those shows I never watched because I think when it came out, I was in college and it seemed kind of boring to me. I didn't know it was a heist show. Yeah, every episode is a heist. Like every single episode is like a group of con men doing heists for like the betterment of mankind. Honestly, and you know, toward the end of this episode, I'm going to give you a chance to really start plugging like really cool things that you do. But you write books, and what I'm hearing is you're trying to get the population UC idea of you writing a book about magical heists, which... Yes. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Saw right through you. I'm a fan. I want to see it. I want to I want to read it, I mean. <laughs> yeah, I'll write it. Somebody option it. We'll make it a movie. It'll be great. Awesome. I'll, I'll be first in line. Now, okay, so I feel like hopefully the listeners have a sense, uh, a deeper sense of where you're at when it comes to your criteria for movies. There's like a heist grade and a just objective film critic grade, I guess. But, oh, and I had another question for you. Uh, And this is just because, so we got a lot of great comments from our episode last week. We talked about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the latest Tarantino film. People seem to really respond well to the movie. We got some really good emails. I I wish we could read one particular email. Um, from someone named SP because it was just it was such a great look at that movie, but it has spoilers in it, unfortunately. So gonna have to gonna have to leave it off the air. But thank you for writing in. We we always appreciate getting those those emails and thinking about your perspective on the films as always. So Preeti, this movie's been out and it hasn't been doing super well at the box office. I, I was just reporting on it today. It's just kind of you know it's there. But have you seen this film? And I already know if you've seen the film or not. But for the listeners who don't know, have you seen it? <laughs> I have not seen it. And uh, so, the, yeah, my follow-up question, which, you know, is pointless, is did you like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, even though you haven't seen it? <laughs> I think that movie was probably made for me when I was 14. Like, if a movie coming came out starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt when I was 14 years old, I would have been the first person in line. You know, it's so funny because we we barely talked about the combined star power of that movie on the show last week, but it is something kind of strange that it's it's almost like an afterthought to me now that like two of those leading, they've never been in a movie together. And it's so strange to see. I highly recommend if you're interested in Leo DiCaprio, his career, and some more of the details on him, I highly recommend the latest episode of The Hollywood Read uh, or Kaylee Donaldson and Sarah Mars podcast. It is fantastic. And they do a deep dive on Leo that just absolutely is like everything I've always believed about him. Like, and it's mostly negative, but <laughs> I honestly, like I, I'm not, I'm not against Leonardo DiCaprio whatsoever. I think he's a fantastic actor, but I think like his fans or like the, the narrative around him tends to be so silly. 
And so please listen to that episode. It They really break it down in a way that I think is amazing. So again, that's Hollywood Read. You should subscribe to that podcast too. Once you're just done listening to every episode of Strong Female Characters, of course. <laughs> Obviously. All right. That's that's really it for, for off topics. We've got stuff to get to. We, we do have to apologize, of course. Extra Milestone is running late, mainly because it's summertime and I'm spending more time at the pool than I am in front of the podcasting microphone. So that's on me. But we have a bunch of content coming to sort of fill in the gap. Apologize for the delay. And we have a special surprise for this weekend because I'm not going to be on Cinemaholics this weekend. We're going to have a special guest host. And I think we're going to get more subscribers as a result and then lose all of them once they find out that it's not a permanent replacement. <laughs> so just get ready for that. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you off the air because really, I don't want, I don't want to spoil it quite yet. Yeah. I'm like, I'm dying to know who it is. <laughs> oh, it's just, it's a Cinemaholics favorite. That's for sure. But uh, we, we, found the, we found the perfect crew to talk about the kitchen, scary stories to tell in the dark, and all those fun movies that are coming out next week. But for now, this is an episode about Hobbs and Shaw, or Fast and Furious Presents yes. Hobbs and Shaw. Pick a door. I'll ride that. No, nope, that's my door. What's the matter with you? I made a mistake. This is your door. Oh, no. No backsies. What's the matter, you got a lot of bad guys behind that door? What's this? You wanna learn something. Let's get into this movie. We have to talk about what it's about, I guess. And I guess we have to preface, because we were talking about this right before we started recording, that it's it's kind of hard to spoil this movie, because a lot of spoilers are in the trailer. In fact, yeah. So so I wrote a review about this movie... And I mentioned in the review, I'm just going to say it because I don't think it's a spoiler, but I mentioned that Vanessa Kirby's character is uh, Shaw's sister. And mm-hmm. my, my girlfriend reads the review and she's like, you spoiled that. And I'm like, but that's in the trailer. Is that really a spoiler? Like, what, what do you think? No, it's in the trailer. If it's in marketing collateral, I think it's fair game. Uh, okay. I, I, I think that's a contentious because sometimes trailers give so much away. And they do. You, do you think Hobbs and Shaw's trailers gave too much away? Because I, I think maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I, I feel like this movie isn't a plot-driven film. Um, <laughs> like it's less, <laughs> it's less necessarily about the journey and more about the the pieces of the fights that we get to see along the way. Oh boy! I, well, I, I first of all, I appreciate the driven pun. That's why I was cackling. <laughs> oh, appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. The plot here is such that I guess we can sort of start to explain it. And even in my review, I I think I dedicated like half a paragraph to what the actual story is. All you really need to know is Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who's been in, I think, four of the Fast and Furious movies so far. He's Luke Hobbs again. He's kind of gone on this weird journey. I guess he's a tracker, right? That's the best way to describe it. And then he is uniting with Deckard Shaw, played by Jason Statham. And together, they are not a heist. They're on a spy <laughs> mission because they're full on spies at this point. There's no street racing, none of that pretense. It's just full on spy action comedy mode. They're trying to get this virus that's trapped inside Vanessa Kirby's character, Hattie. And along the way, Idris Elba is this super cybernetic spy, calls himself Black Superman, also the bad guy. And he's got all these cyber implants. He's like, 
who's got like the Sherlock Holmes computer in his retina is all fascinating. And he's like the only thing they could dream up to be a reasonable antagonist to the rock and Jason Statham, I think is the best way to put it. So it's like, it's like one long chase scene. It's like, who's going to get yeah. the human MacGuffin. That's the setup. It's it's like that movie road trip. <laughs> just, just like road trip <laughs> down to the soundtrack. Right. Yeah. 99 red balloons starts playing. when Yeah. We get to Samoa, but no. So, I, I want to kind of start off with the the placement of this movie in the Fast and Furious franchise. This is the ninth film in this, like, I guess now it's kind of like a cinematic universe because this is a spinoff. Is. Yeah. And Tokyo Drift was kind of like a, yeah. So what what's your favorite Fast and Furious movie? I want to ask that first. Oh, Fast Five. Easy. Is that everybody's favorite? I, I don't know if it, I've met somebody. It's so good. It's the introduction of The Rock to the universe, which I think just like elevated it. It's a great heist movie. Um, Han is still alive. Justice for Han. <laughs> like... <laughs> One of the most confusing things, too, because we didn't even know that this was like Tokyo Drift was ahead of this movie. We all just assumed he survived, right? Yeah. That was my assumption. We're like, nope. <laughs> the, the timeline of these movies is insane. It's amazing. We do have to point out Hobbs and Shaw is not not doing super well at the box office either. It made $60 million in its opening weekend, which compared to other summer blockbusters of this year, that's not bad. That's fine. Especially for like an August movie. But if you actually look at the other Fast and Furious movies, this is the sixth lowest opening, or sorry, the sixth highest, but like the only movies that it did better than in its open weekend are Tokyo Drift, Too Fast, Too Furious, and the original Fast and Furious. All movies that are like really old at this point, like 13 years ago was when Tokyo Drift came out. Uh, but side fact, that is the first of these movies I ever saw in theaters. I don't know about you. Yeah, I actually didn't. I came to them later. I watched in like 2013. I watched like oh. everything that was out. Interesting. So the first one you saw in theaters, I'm guessing was Fast and Furious 6, whichever one that was. I think so. It was either six or seven. I think it was six, though. Yeah, because I think seven was 2015. And that that was the first one or that was the last one with Paul Walker. Yeah. So I think it was six. It's been so long. Okay, so there's so many. (laughs) So so as someone who has come to this franchise later in the game, you've you've seen them, I guess, more fresh than I have, because I haven't rewatched most of these movies. I've only seen most of these movies once. I think the only one I've seen more than once was uh, Tokyo Drift because really? I saw it in theaters. Yeah. And then I saw it, I think at like a friend's house or something. All right. I feel like five is the most rewatchable. Um, seven, seven was really fun in the theater. I do remember this, the experience of going to see seven uh, and everybody kind of being in it together and crying together. But yeah, they're just, I think what I was surprised by, I came to them late because I kind of had a lot of assumptions about the franchise based on what I thought I knew about it. And then when I watched it, I was like, oh no, these are really like wonderful, weird space of movies that seem to be set in this post-racial utopia of a world. (laughs) (laughs) Justice Rahan, once again. Hashtag Justice Rahan, come on. (laughs) <laughs> but that's that is kind of interesting. It is kind of like a utopia where like street racer you can go from being like a street racer selling TVs in the back of a van to you know going you know, being hired by like government agencies to yep. 
save the world? Is that what we're yeah. at? Yeah. Several times over, I think. Yeah, like, I think that's the case. Like, like quite a few times. <laughs> I have to point out, Fate of the Furious has, it's one of those movies that's not aged well for me. I think in the moment I was sort of like, ah, whatever, it's just another one of these. And like, the more I remember it, the more I just, that movie was kind of a big ball of nothing to me. Mm-hmm. I think they, what, when they're best is when they actually do bring story into it. Because I think we also all really love these characters, which is like seven was so sad. Cause I love Paul Walker in these movies. And it feels like they have such a good time making them. So fate felt like it got away from that like a little bit, but ne- like necessarily to be fair, but I can see that where it's like not quite as good as the others. There are a lot of avenues I want to go down with this movie, but let's talk about it more generally. Hobbs and Shaw. It's the first, I guess, legit spinoff where they're really trying to expand with like existing characters rather than reset. Like they're not trying mm-hmm. to reboot the franchise like they did with Tokyo Drift. Um, and we've we sort of, I guess, we've sort of said enough about the plot of it. It, it really is like what you see in the trailer. Like the trailer really tells you what this movie is. Yeah. And like, if you're down for that, I think this is going to satisfy you. But what about you? What about you, Preeti? I mean, what were your expectations going in? And then what was your takeaway coming out of this movie? I think I my expectations going in were that this is going to be a fun movie to see in the theater because it's going to be a lot of high action. I think The Rock is very charming and seeing the interplay between him and Jason Statham. And when I came out of it, I was like, that was absurd and delightful. Oh, okay. So that's that's kind of similar to where I was at. I mean, I was a little complex on it because I looked, okay, this is directed by David Leach. Is he going to do something drastically different with this movie than we've seen the, from the other Fast and Furious movies? Personally, I think yes for the better. A lot of other people I'm seeing yes for the worse. Um, really? I'm seeing a lot of it. Will Ashen messaged me himself and said, I'm very disappointed. He can't be on the show because he knows I like this movie and he wants to dance upon the grave of my dreams. And (laughs) seriously, like I I could just tell from like the tone of his messages. This is very distressing for me, but I really got a kick out of this movie. In fact, I think it's for me, it's just like exactly what I wanted. And and it's it to me. I know. Fast Five is probably going to remain the best of these movies for most people. But if I was like looking at the overall, like checking all the boxes, I think this one has like a humor to it I wasn't expecting, which I probably should have because David Lee directed Deadpool 2, which is a very funny movie. He also co-directed, I don't care what the DGA says, he co-directed John Wick with Chad Stahelski. That's just a fact. He's, he's just <laughs> not... He's just not officially credited, whatever. But John Wick, that has a lot of great dry humor. And then Atomic Blonde has a great sense of humor. And this movie, I think, has a good sense of humor. What do you think? I agree. I thought it was really funny. It did feel like sometimes there was a... You could tell that they were kind of falling into their own cleverness a little bit, where sometimes it went on like a minute or two too long, the back and forth. But overall, it was just really enjoyable because I I agree. I was laughing a lot, like Mm -hmm. over and over. I feel like they hit on something that was really fun. Yeah, I think to what you're saying, the the chemistry between The Rock and Statham. So like those specific jokes that they wrote for those two, a little underwhelming. I, I think I, I think yeah, sometimes yeah. it works. Sometimes it was a little bit like, all right, who wrote that? Like a fourth grader? Come on. Yeah, like we get it. 
Yeah. Okay. So, so interesting. Sounds like we're both kind of in the same place here. Let's see if we, if where we diverge, I guess the action itself, there, there are many points during this film where it's very green screen. It's very like, I definitely am watching like not what's actually happening. And then, and then there are other instances that I think are a little bit impressive. Like I appreciate that. I could always sort of tell what was going on in the action. And maybe that was because there was a bit of an over-reliance on CGI but as an action movie, we've already sort of established it works for both of us as a comedy. But what about the action element for you? Oh, what's so fun about the Fast and the Furious movies, I think, is how ridiculous they are. Like there's in, is it is it Fast Five where they jump out of the helicopter? Oh, no. In the I cars? Think it's at, it's that post, I think, yeah. right? I think that's... It's six. It's either six or seven. I think it's seven, actually, where they come out of the plane and they land and they start driving. Yeah, they like fall. They they drive out of the plane and have like parachutes attached to the cars. Like I feel like every single movie has to one up the one before it, right? Right, right, yeah. And so Hobbs and Shaw had somewhat of a ridiculous, impossible task. So we saw the shot in the trailer with the rock and the helicopter and the Captain America ing of it. With the chains. <laughs> I feel like really, that was a yeah. very big deal. And no spoilers, but that whole sequence is amazing. But also I was like laughing really hard because mm. like when I say it's absurd, like it is absurd. So like the action works, but it it's the only it's like the only way it works is in this universe. Yeah. And yeah, it definitely not spoiling anything because that's like in the trailer, all the helicopter stuff. And, and I was feeling the same way because by the time you get to the very end, I, it's a long movie, but I kind of was feeling like at least they're ending it with like the best set piece. I thought the last set piece was the best. Yeah. And it we ramped up pretty well to it. There, there was just a moment where I was like, wow, this is kind of incredible to watch. It's a little absurd, but it, it is so absurd in every other department and it never really takes itself seriously that... Yeah, I was fully on board. And I think like even I think some of you might disagree because there are some points and it's time to talk about the most important element of all of these movies, all these fast movies is the family. And so this movie kind of is going for yeah. the jugular when it comes to like, OK, who are their actual family members? We It's been a while since we checked in on like some real relatives because it used to be. You had Dom and you had a sister and then Paul Walker yeah. married her. There was like all kinds of like little connections. And that's why it felt more like a family instead of like a group of buddies who get together for a heist every five movies. In this case, we dive in way more with Shaw's family, with his mother and his sister. Very, very uh, short shrift to uh, Luke Evans, by the way, who they, they just like, yeah, just I don't know, want right? to remember him. What's that about? Could, couldn't couldn't like get not, him on the phone. Not that important, I guess. What a bummer. Uh, yeah, like the, he and his sister, like we had such great times as kids. It's like, all right, well, where was your brother? I don't. Anyway. And then, and then Hobbs, we, we've, we've sort of seen established in the previous films. He has a daughter and I love the dynamic there. I love like the sort of thing, the place that so they go cute. to with that of like leaving when you leave your family behind, like when you abandon them and, and sort of him rediscovering his roots. Did that stuff work for you? It did. It did work for me. Part of it is that you know, you do look at the fast films and they, you know, I joked about it being this like weird post-racial utopia, but they were on the earlier side in terms of recognizing the power of having people of color on screen. And so to have the kind of existence of the Rock's character of, of Hobbes' entire family in Samoa 
and all of these different cultures. And, and I love that there were moments that they didn't translate the language for us. Like it felt very lived in and it felt very real to me. And I appreciated that. Okay. I think speaking of things we appreciate, I think it's safe to say we all appreciate Idris Elba. And oh, yes. it is it is kind of wild, right? Watching Idris Elba play a villain in a movie right after seeing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, because I know you haven't seen the movie yet. But one of the one of the strains of thought in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is this idea of like an actor who sort of made it big in TV, Idris Elba started with like Luther, who mm-hmm. starts being the villain in everything because it's always like oh, it's like purposeful from the directors to put these like previous protagonists into like villain roles so that their hero can defeat the villain. It's all very psychological, super Tarantino in the first place to even think of. And I couldn't help but think about that while watching Hobbs and Shaw of of thinking like Idris Elba didn't get to be James Bond. Like we all demanded. Right. What, what a surprise. Uh, The film, Mm. the film going community didn't get get Mm -hmm. their way. Who'd have thought. And now we're seeing him in this villain role, Mm -hmm. but I like that he's making the most of it. And I think that he's, I don't, he's a good bad guy. I think he was a great bad guy in the jungle book as well. Uh, did Idris Elba work for you? What, this whole construct of this character, where, where did it land? Well, Idris Elba is so good. And it's funny that you, you use Luther, but I think of him from the wire where he was oh, of course. terrifying, yeah. right? Like he's terrifying as Stringer Bell. And so I feel like Idris Elba has always had this ability to play dark side really well. And you know, the character is, in, in lesser hands, I don't know that it would have worked, but he sells it so hard and he's clearly having so much fun with it that I really liked him as a villain. And I, I liked the way they wrote his belief in his own action. That makes sense. I, I think that watching him, he does the Thanos thing. He was like, oh, this is for a better cause. But at yes. the same time he recognizes that he is the bad guy in other people's perspective, right? He's like, oh, who are you? Bad guy, you know? And I kind of love that. I think think that's freaking people out a little bit of like, what? Our villains need to think they're the hero. And I sympathize, but this isn't, I don't know. This isn't that kind of movie. This isn't the lane. It's not. Like, this is is not like moral quandary movie. (laughs) Yeah, just sort of like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to wipe out most of the planet because it really, when you get down to it, it benefits him. He sort of sees himself as like much greater than humanity. And you see that pretty consistent throughout this entire movie. I got the sense that Elba really helped shape this character a bit because David Leash, he is far better known for being a, a stunt coordinator, a second unit director who has mm-hmm. blossomed in this career as a director, I think. I, I'm not the biggest fan of Atomic Blonde. Um, I didn't even really like Deadpool 2 that much, but I really respect those movies, and I th- they have a lot of fans. And I think he and Sahelski have really proven themselves as guys who just, they understand stunts, they act- they understand action and how it can translate to the big screen, and those are the things I like the most about Atomic Blonde and Deadpool 2. And I'll reiterate, I just think the action in this movie is really effective. It's not like that Transformers cutaway stuff. And I don't know. I felt like there was a purpose to the entire thing that we saw. Yeah, I agree. It felt there was there's one point that I I felt could have been edited. Like my biggest my biggest issue with this movie is I genuinely actually just think it's too long. Like I do think it's they went a little too intense with some of it where you were like, you didn't, I didn't need this part. Um, but overall 90% of the action worked for me. 
Mm, that's interesting. Because I, I also think it's too long. It's like, what, two hours and four, ten it's minutes? So something like that. Yeah, it's bad. It's um, so long. <laughs> oh, it's 135 minutes. So two hours and 15. Which, like, if you're going to do it, so I come from, like, a, a Bollywood culture, and our movies are very long, but we get an intermission, like, built into the film. There will be an intermission so you can get up and go use the bathroom. I worry that I feel like an intermission for this movie would have ruined its momentum. I don't think I would have come back after oh, yes. the bathroom break for sure. No, they they couldn't have done it because the whole point is this movie just doesn't even let you kind of stop and think about what's going on. Because it's just like mm-hmm. action point, action point, action point, action point. And all of a sudden you're at the end and you're like, what just happened? Right. That's that's my criticism of this movie. It It is pretty safe in terms yes. of what it is and what it's aspiring to be. It's not aspiring to be anything bigger. It doesn't push this franchise further. I just think it's like a great example of what this franchise is. It like sums up, I think, every corner of the Fast and Furious universe, and maybe intentionally so. So I look at it as like, yeah, it, it, it does a lot of things better than parts of a lot of the different Fast and Furious movies, which is why I look at it as like, it's overall just like a really good Fast and Furious movie, probably the best one if you're just like checking things off of a list. Does it have that emotional effect of Fast 7? No, not even close. Does it have mm. like the... like? completely unforgettable set piece of fast five of course not does it have a redneck who does not sound like a redneck like tokyo drift not i wouldn't even go there (laughs) and the worst thing is it doesn't have han but it does have a lot of great stuff going for it and i i think that it it was it was a smart move to do this spinoff like would you see another spinoff with these two characters i actually was about to say you know who we haven't talked about is vanessa kirby um, Good point. who, who plays, uh, uh, Daggerjaw's sister, Hattie. Sorry. I was like, what is her name? Um, who's, so if I watch a spinoff of this movie, like I want her in it. I thought she was so good and her fight sequences were so, so fun, more fun. I would say than some of Statham's fight sequences, because with her, there was a sense of like, she might lose this fight that I never really felt with Shaw, with Deckard. Mm, and I thought that, that she played it so well. It was just, she was, she was actually, I think the best part of the movie for me. So then could you see maybe her just get her own movie, give her new characters. Yes. Maybe she gets to like yes. work with the like other fast and furious people or something. I think that would be awesome. Put Hattie and Han in a movie together. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what I was leaning toward. You 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 went right where I hoped you would. <laughs> uh, yeah, what well, I wish we could bring Gal Gadot back because like where did uh, she yes. go? Um she's still she's still somewhere in this universe doing something yeah. and if I guess what like if, Oh my god. What if it's the two of them teaming up and finding out that Han is alive? <laughs> that would be perfect because wasn't uh, Gal Gadot's character was like his love interest, correct? Yes. Yeah, he was her love interest. So like, they should just, yeah, have some sort of, uh, it is it is the same plot of like Fast 6, I guess, with yes. uh, Dom and Lenny, Letty or whatever her name is. But yeah, I, it's interesting. That's interesting. I, th- I think they, they are probably trying to work space travel into that. So they, I think they, they're like a year from cracking that screenplay code. <laughs> I'd watch it. All right, so... I guess 
we, we got into our criticisms. I, I don't think there's much else. Like that's the thing. It's like, it, it's, it's not that there's anything, anything necessarily terrible about it, but I could see this movie as being very dull for some people because, and again, it's all about that trailer. If you're just going to this movie and you want more than what it's offering, you're, you're going to walk away completely unfulfilled. But I think for most fans of this franchise, they're going to like it a lot. And, you know, I was going to ask you this too. It sounds like you like dumb action comedies as much as I do. Do you think there is a place for this type of movie still at the movie theater? Again, didn't do great box office, even though it's based on an existing IP. But yeah, do you think there's a future for this type of movie anymore? I wish because it's such, I mean, I think part of it is that going to the movies is so expensive. And so you really have to think about what you're going to see. Like I saw a screening. If I had had to pay like $17 or whatever to go see it, I don't know that I would have. Um, because it, it's, it's not just a $17 ticket, then it's food. It's like going to the movies can be a lot of money for families. And this is actually a really great, like fun family movie, I think, because it's kind of yeah. like if your kids are a little older, because it's just like you said, it's like a dumb action movie. It never gets super intense. It's just kind of, it is what it is. And I feel like that used to be the kind of like gold standard of summer blockbuster films, I wish that I could just say yes, but I I think it's hard economically. Right. It just feels like all these movies have to be event movies, right? And right. you know, we just we just had to say farewell to Stuber in in the top 10 of the box office domestically. It just kind of crapped out. There is another action comedy with Dave Bautista, Camille Nanjiani, different kind of movie, but still that's sort of like, yeah, here's this here's this action star hero who would have been like everywhere in the 80s and 90s paired with a comedian yeah and they only you know audiences only paid 29 million dollars for it worldwide not just domestically and to me that just that's a pretty strong message i think audiences are sending is like we like our action comedies with capes i guess well also it's like we it's it's i just think going to the movies has changed like is there more money to be made in home viewing experiences now for movies like this that you might not get it out of the theater? I mean, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know anyone knows what the answer is, but I think we have to like shift our thinking in terms of what success is for film because it's just like the average audience isn't film Twitter, right? As much as like we want it to be. Wait, um, what? Wait, what are you talking about? Like me, <laughs> I, I thought we were the center. It's like, all right, of like we're the center of the universe, right? <laughs> oh man, I guess. But like not. you know, if if Super became like a, I don't know, I don't know, um, because I, I also didn't see it. Uh, but if it became like this, like great <laughs> big experience, because I, you know, what I think about a lot. This is totally different, but Office Space. Hmm. I, I had a feeling we would talk about Office Space on this episode of Cinemaholics <laughs> involving Hobbs and Shaw. I just knew it going in, yeah. <laughs> but, like, you remember how, like, Office Space was, like, a huge failure at the box office, not just because, like, it didn't make any money, but because they literally, like, didn't know how to sell this movie. Hmm. Yeah, that's and true. And then it became, like, a huge hit on home video because it was all about word of mouth. It was about like that experience of watching it with your friends. It was just a different way the movie needed to be engaged with. And I think about that sometimes where I'm like, we haven't cracked that code yet of what that means for audiences 
um, engaging with the movie, not necessarily at the theater, which is like a whole new level of money expectation and time expectation. Cause that's the other thing, like an hour and a half is different than a movie that's over two hours long. I think that's true. I think there's also an element of the movie has to be good, but not just that. Yeah. Audiences have to think or assume the movie is going to be good. And I think we're getting away from a culture of, well, what do the critics say? Maybe maybe I can rely on critics to know if the movie is good. And it seems like we're getting away from critics being relied on to that extent. It feels more like the role of the critic is to make sense of the movie after the fact. Yeah, like, which is Most silly. of the people we engage with are people who've already seen the movie and want to talk to us about it. So I look like at the cinema score for this movie, for example, it's an A minus. Uh, that's pretty mm-hmm. good. And then I look at yeah. the critical score, that's eh, 66%, 90% audience rating. But then at the box office, that's not very good enough. It, it just, it doesn't really click for people because I think they look at Hobbs and Shaw and assume it's going to be a bad movie. It's just like their gut instinct. But then you look at a movie like mm-hmm. The Farewell. The Farewell has been in limited release. It's only playing in, I think, like 400 theaters. It's in the top 10 mm-hmm. box office right now. I think it's at like number yeah. seven, right? It, it made as much money as some of these other films that are in like thousands of theaters which is just phenomenal unbelievable and i think it's because people look at the farewell and they're like that's probably a good movie that's worth going to the movies for well that that's also how they spent their money though right like i feel like people discount like the marketing of that movie was so smart because they turned it into a marketing campaign for a movie that was a critically acclaimed film i think we learned from the farewell that a lot of people listen to This American Life. And they probably were familiar with this. Like, I'm joking. I'm joking. But yeah, so I, yeah, I think you're totally right. I think like the way they hyped it up to is like, it's kind of like a family comedy, but with like dryness and drama. That's not really what The Farewell is, but people still watch it and loved it anyway, right? So I think like marketing, I just wish it was more skewed to where like, no, really, this movie's good instead of like these like sort of cherry picked pull quotes from reviews that are so hyperbolic that are so like, Oh, the, the best fast and furious movie that'll ever be made, including the ones we haven't even thought of yet. Um, and because then people see right through that, I think. Right. Cause you just want to be like, look, if you like the rock, if you like Jason Statham and you like fight scenes, you're going to like this movie. Or, or you're going to seek it out on demand uh, a few months from now, which I have a feeling a lot of people are just looking at it and like, I'll wait. I'll wait until that hits. Yeah, I agree. You know, because star power is another thing, right? Where just The Rock is a big draw, but I, I think less and less we're seeing with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as well. Like Leo DiCaprio, he's just, people aren't really showing up to watch a movie just because he and Brad Pitt are in it right. or just because The Rock is in right. it. We, I don't know. It, it's a very weird time. And I hope that's... I hope that movies keep being good and we don't see them being geared toward appeasing the sort of like it has to it has to convince people it's good before they even get a sense of what the movie is. I don't even know if that makes sense. No, it does. I mean, I think it's also that we have to consider one because of the competition and not just like competition at the theater, but just how much content is created and produced and put out like how many new seasons of beloved Netflix shows have come out this week, right? Like there's people have a finite amount of time to spend watching things. Mm -hmm. And I think you see that impacting the box office in a way where you have, you're, you're not only fighting against, you know, once upon a time, isn't just fighting against Hobbs and Shaw it's fighting against, you know, the new season of glow or like whatever it is like, 
all these other ways in which people can spend their time now without having to go to the movies that didn't necessarily exist like a two, a decade and a half ago or two decades ago. No, that's that's true. In fact, I think about what is the movie that has spurred the most conversation online that I've personally seen? What has elicited more of a reaction? It's not Hobbs and Shaw. And last week it was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, for sure. But that didn't really translate to box office numbers. This week, everybody was talking, at least in my you know, little corner, everybody was talking about The Boys on Amazon Prime. Uh, that's the new mm-hmm. superhero show yeah. that yeah. I really love. I watched the whole thing in like two days. And we're, we're, we'll probably talk about it in a future episode in some capacity. But that that's something that people have been talking about. And because they actually sort of care about that sort of comic book adapted property and how it's so provocative and it, it's hard to make heads or tails of it. I don't know how it's clicking with like casual TV fans, but it's obviously more fun to talk about that, I think, than the latest Fast and Furious movie. Because what else can we say? Like, I feel like we're spinning our wheels trying to come up with new ways to be like, Fast yeah. and Furious movie, here's what it is. Let's review it. I I, I think that's the struggle. <laughs> no, I agree with you. Because it is. It's just like, you could do it in one sentence. And and we basically did. <laughs> it feels we like. Did. I feel like we've talked more about other things, which is fine. That's I prefer it. But okay, that's that's Hobbs and Shaw. Let's get into our final our final thoughts and grades on this. I, I'm a very very high B minus. I don't know how you do grades. It doesn't matter. But however you want to grade this thing, if you don't want to grade at all, that's cool too. But yeah, high B minus. I think that it's just it's it's good for what it is. It's it's Fast and Furious again. And I'll be honest, I'm not somebody who's who's put these movies on a high pedestal. I've always just considered them really fun to engage with and see in the theater and then completely forget about them for the most part and be fine with that. I think that they're kind of disposable in the best way possible. And like a B minus B, I think that's as good as these movies ever even try to be. And so this movie, I think, gets to the, the tip top of that, that mark for me. But what, what about you, Preeti? Uh, yeah, I don't tend to grade movies because I feel like it's it's arbitrary and I'm like, I don't, I don't know what that means. Um, but I think think that this one for me is because I really love the Fast and the Furious movies for for I think they're good filmmaking in the context of smart action movies that kind of turned what we assume action movies were on their heads a little bit. Um, and this one goes much more in the traditional route of what an action film is an action comedy film like it's it's pretty standard I agree with you in that respect where it's like you'll have a good time watching it you'll probably never really think about it again and that's fine I think that about sums it well yeah that is fine who we don't need to be challenged every week at the cinema you know like we can't every yeah. other week is fine I think yeah but all right that is Hobbs <laughs> and Shaw uh, next week, we're going to be talking about, oh, I might not be on next week's episode. In fact, I almost certainly won't. Next week, our surprise guest host is going to be talking about The Kitchen and Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. I think those are the two. There's some other things like One Child Nation is hitting limited release, Peanut Butter Falcon, After the Wedding, some some interesting stuff. Like uh, I know One Child Nation was a Sundance doc that I, I missed out on. Also, Dora and then Lost City of Gold. <laughs> Which I I kid you not, Preeti. I was at my screening for Hobbs and Shaw, and the publicist there was like, "I see that you haven't signed up for Dora and the Lost City of Gold." And I'm like, "What do you want me to say right now?" <laughs> it was 
fun. I'm not going to lie. That trailer looks super fun. I'm going to see it, but I it was not a priority. It was one of those things where it it just really conflicted. And I was like, I'm not choosing Dora and the Lost City of Gold over these other plans I have. I'm sorry. <laughs> this It's just not going to happen. I apologize, Boots. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens uh, next week. Some matinee, maybe. Hopefully it'll be the case. Also, The Art of Racing in the Rain, which is getting a much wider release than I thought. It's like 2,800 theaters. This is like, I think, another one of those Fox movies that Disney doesn't know what to do with. So I don't know much about it. For the amount of money, though, it seems like they're spending on advertising. Like, I cannot escape that movie. I haven't. I have never seen a trailer. I knew nothing about this movie. Are you serious? I feel like it's played in every TV show I've watched. It's like every billboard I see. I've seen no billboards. I'm in the Bay Area. Maybe it's just different <laughs> in New York. And I don't I don't really watch TV. I watch all the streaming stuff. So I've avoided it oh, successfully. Yeah, yeah. I'm not the target demographic for sure. I, I was going to bring up to uh, Brian Banks is also getting kind of like a mid-sized release. I think that's the new one with Chadwick Boseman, I want to say. I could be wrong about that. But I, 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 he's doing like his post Black Panther, you know, I can also do these movies sort of thing, um, which could be interesting. But yeah, a lot of movies next week. Are, are you going to see any of these? Of of any of them, of any of them, Dora will be the one that I see. Okay, not not interested in the uh, the kitchen. I don't like the kitchen. So that one's scary, right? Uh, no, that one that one's like widows, but with like Melissa McCarthy uh, oh, and Tiffany the Haddish. Hell's kitchen one. I was mixing yeah. it up. It's the Hell's Kitchen like crime movie. I don't. Oh, I feel like I want something very specific from the movies over the summer, which is actually kind of just Hobbs and Shaw. Like, that's what I want. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> which is like, I just want to go and have a good time. And I feel like sometimes with movies like The Kitchen and, and also the proliferation of, of horror has really messed up my relationship to the movies because I don't like to be scared. Like, I just don't enjoy it. Uh, and so I skip all of those things. Um, it's hard for me because like, like I said, going to the movies is like a really big decision because of how much time and how much money it takes. And so I tend to wait for most things to come on to like uh, streaming or when I can rent it on demand or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, normally I would be seeing at least two of these movies, but it's going to be hard for me because I'm going to be out of town. I'm spending the vacation with my nieces and I will probably be watching Dora and the Lost City of Gold with them. Because they're two little, awesome. I mean, they're two little Puerto Rican girls. Uh, we're we're gonna go watch Adora. They love Dora. We're gonna speak Spanish the whole time. It's gonna be fantastico. It's gonna be great. But I don't know oh, if I'm gonna take them to see scary stories to tell in the dark. I think uh, <laughs> I think my sister would kill me. Nope, that looks so terrifying. All right, well that will do it this week on Cinemaholics. Preeti, some of the listeners have been waiting this entire time to know more about you. You're the mystery box. For the Cinemaholics crowd, they want to know, wait, did John say that she writes books? Uh, please tell them everything. Like, where can they find you? How can they find your awesome books? All that stuff. Uh, so you can find me mostly on Twitter at Run With Skizzers because that was my AIM screen name and I didn't know it was going to be important. Hey, remember who you are. I know. I'll never forget. Uh, and then as far as my book, so I wrote a tie into the Spider-Man movie that came out in July. Uh, called Peter and Ned's Ultimate Travel Journal. So I write books for kids, which is really fun because I get to make silly jokes. And those are available wherever books are sold, actually. So shop indie, but if you don't, if you can't, you can buy them anywhere. Right on, right on. Yeah, because I think uh, you can find them at Barnes and Noble. You can find them all over the place. It's true. Target. It's all, it's all <laughs> yeah. there. 
It's all <laughs> happening. Um, thank you again for coming on to Cinemaholics to talk about what is probably probably the biggest movie of this summer, at least to me. And, and, and a lot of ways, and a lot of ways, it was the biggest movie in terms of just how much movie it was. So I, I think it was yep. <laughs> it was great to hear your thoughts. Thanks for having me.